Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News. My name is Jason Luber, and in lovely Springfield, Denver, Colorado, or not, today, I'm recording this on May 8th, and I saw a little bit of snow on my drive-in. Yep. There's going to be more snow tonight. Um... This is not like a January snow or the bomb cyclone blizzard that we had a few months ago. But you know what? It's May. Stop it already. Parts of our mountains could get a foot and a half of snow today. It's it's supposed to be spring. Come on, Mother Nature. Your, your day, Mother's Day, is this weekend. Sunday. Don't you think you want some warm spring weather? Seriously? I am so ready for spring. Anyway, on today's show, we will be talking about the change in how we buy used cars. I'm going to tell you my adventure in just a little bit, as my wife and I have been looking for a used car for about a month now, and I've learned a ton about the process. I've also learned a ton about the companies that I want to, that want to sell you a used car, And in just a minute, I'm going to talk with Carvana. They are the company that has that tall, round, used car vending machine. Have you seen that thing? I guess it looks like that Capitol Records building in Los Angeles, that large, tall, round building. Same thing, but this one is full of cars. And then you can just go up and have one come out and (laughs) you drive it off, I guess. Anyway, uh, there are other companies that uh, want to sell you a car, too, a lot of of these uh, used car dealerships are popping up everywhere. It's um, it's an interesting time for used car sales. And so we'll talk to Carvana all about the changes in used car sales and what it means for you. But before that, police officers around the country, you know, they, they never know what they're going to find when they pull somebody over. Well, that scenario is compounded tenfold in Florida because, you know, Florida. Police in Punta Gorda, it's on the north side of Fort Myers, They saw a blue Chevy pickup blow right past a stop sign, and it was around 3.15 in the morning. So naturally, the sheriff's deputies turned on their lights and sirens and pulled the driver over. When they approached the pickup, the driver said he and his passenger had been collecting frogs and snakes from under a nearby overpass. That's exactly what I would be doing at 3 o'clock in the morning. So the Charlotte County deputy asked the couple if they would open up their backpacks and show their haul just to make sure they didn't have anything illegal. Well, the passenger grabbed her backpack from the floor right next to her feet. When she unzipped it, it showed that there were 43 small turtles inside. That was a big no-no, first of all. And then the other deputy said, anything else? It was then that the woman reached into her yoga pants and pulled out a foot-long alligator. (laughs) Seriously? All right, there's not much room in yoga pants to begin with. And how are you going to hide a one-foot alligator in your yoga pants? And where in your yoga pants are you hiding this alligator? And aren't you concerned that the one-foot alligator, even though it is a one-foot alligator, it still has alligator teeth? And I'm sure it still can bite. And it would hurt in your yoga pants. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, the baby gator was seized 
along with those turtles and all the animals were released back into the wild. So, you know, Florida, there you go. And there were two passengers who were on an Air New Zealand flight and they were kicked off after reportedly refusing to pay attention to the airline safety briefing. The two, it was a man and a woman, this couple, they were sitting in the exit row and when the safety video started to play, the woman started looking down at her book and then she soon decided to play with her phone. And both she and her male travel companion were then looking at their phones together. So not paying attention at all. And what compounds the problem is they're in the exit row where they need to be paying attention. Because the flight attendant said very patiently, can you please watch what's happening here because this is an exit row and you need to know what's going on in case there's a problem and people need to get out of the airplane. Well, the pair ignored her and several times the flight attendant kept asking the passengers to pay attention. But the woman reportedly put her fingers in her ears. <laughs> One passenger said it was shockingly arrogant behavior. They didn't seem to care. We were saying it takes two minutes to look at it. Just look at it. They seemed like they were too important for the safety video. Obviously, they were. Well, the flight attendant then called the pilot, who returned back to the gate, and the couple was removed from the flight by police. When they were told that police were waiting for them as they returned back to the gate, the woman reportedly pulled out her phone and loudly tried to make a booking with Jetstar Airlines to get them on their way. That, unfortunately, wasn't going to happen for many hours. As police say, the passengers will receive an infringement notice under Civil Aviation Authority rules relating to the use of a cell phone. I'm never surprised by the ever-increasing level of bad behavior on airplanes. And the circumstances here are not totally clear. But there was a man able to reach an Air France aircraft at the main airport in Guadeloupe. That's an island in the eastern Caribbean right near St. Kitts and Barbuda. Well, that man climbed into the landing gear compartment of the aircraft, made himself as comfortable as possible before it took off, and he stayed there while the airplane flew to French Guiana in northern South America. The plane landed, and the man, he survived. That is stunning. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour flight, and it's estimated that the man had to face low temperatures, low oxygen, as the aircraft was cruising at about 30,000 feet. Now, if you're outside an aircraft, flying at altitudes above about 8,000 feet, hypothermia can become a risk, and reduced oxygen can make you pass out. Now, at typical cruising altitudes, the low air pressure and low oxygen level in a wheel well is well below what is required to support your consciousness. Even at altitudes above 20,000 feet, stowaways may develop a decompression sickness and nitrogen gas embolisms, similar to what happens to scuba divers on deep dives who come up too fast. Now, temperatures also decrease with the altitude, and they can drop to, what, 60 or 70 degrees below zero, and that is not good, like frostbite not good, especially when you are exposed to it for several hours. Wheel well stowaways face considerable danger, obviously, during takeoff and cruising and the landing. And immediately after takeoff, the landing gear it re, you know, retracts up into the wheel well. And that is where most of the stowaways get crushed and, and killed in these sort of stunts. 
Apparently, there was an eyewitness that saw the man leave the wheel well at the airport after the plane has landed. That's how they knew this person was in there. There is an investigation by the Air Force uh, there in uh, French Guiana, but so far they haven't reported anything further. That's stunning information. And that story made me think about the time I wanted to stow away on a freight train when I was in college. See, I, all right, so I had plans to jump a train when I was going to school in Statesboro and then head north. I, I didn't know where I was going to end up. I didn't really care. I did try to recruit a couple of people with me, but they, well, they, they just weren't going to have it. I, I even bought a train map that had all these train routes listed in it for the entire United States. See, this is pre-internet days, people. So I had to have a physical map to find out where the trains went and where I could eventually end up. And when the trains could be rolling through, I, I, I could see the trains that would roll through Statesboro, and they, and they rolled through this one area fairly slowly. So I was pretty sure I was able to jump on the train, and then I just needed to know where I was going to go. And then I was going to just I, I take a Greyhound bus back to Statesboro, wherever I ended up. I was just going to bring a little bit of food in a backpack, uh, take a few other things, you know, a, a change of clothes, some gloves, a flashlight, that sort of thing. I had a camera. This is, remember, the, the time before cell phones, so we didn't have a cell phone camera. I just had a regular little handheld point-and-shoot camera because I wanted to take pictures and document the journey. And it was all before Google, so you couldn't really research anybody doing this very much. Um, all I had to rely on was... Um, some news articles and and just blind hope that it was going to work out. Um, and, and I don't. I guess I don't know if it was just apathy or that little voice in my head that kept telling me I, I probably shouldn't do this, and, and I never did it. Uh, what I, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's one of my most major regrets I've had over my life. I mean, maybe it is. Uh, uh, okay, maybe more than maybe. But uh, okay, I'm glad I didn't do it. Uh, and that's coming from a guy who's a dad who wouldn't want his kids to risk it. I've seen videos of other people do it, and I know of stories where people have been seriously hurt and obviously killed doing it. But I've also read reports and have seen videos from people who succeed at doing it. And, and these videos are really cool. And it looks like the trip is really cool. So that's, I guess, have slight regret that I never did it. But it was really after I first moved to Denver in the early 90s. I was working for this sports talk radio station, and we used to do these remote broadcasts at a different business every day of the week. And one of the days, we would broadcast live from a place called Newsland. Now, Newsland, it was this business, again, before the Internet, that had about every newspaper and magazine from around the country that you could ever imagine. They even had newspapers from around the world and and these these magazines were very specialized. I remember one was quilting only, and they had all these specialized uh, papers and, and news from really around the world. It was pretty neat. And one of the magazines that Newsland had, and they carried, it was called Hobo Times. <laughs> I love the Hobo Times. And it was out, it, it would come out every couple of months, and it would tell the story of the people who would ride the rails and what it was like to travel via train around the country. Not obviously on the Amtrak, on freight trains. And these people who would travel from place to place, jumping on freight trains and what their life was like and, and the 
ups and the downs and, and how they did what they did. It further, though, fueled my disappointment that I'd never tried jumping on a freight train in college. Looking back as a much older man now, I, I can see that it would have been foolish to do, knowing the risks of jumping on a train, but even now as an older man, I could see that it was probably going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun, as long as I didn't fall off and get crushed under the wheels. I guess that was my major concern, was trying to jump on or off the train, and it's that moment that you could slip and fall under the wheels, and there goes an arm, or there goes your leg, or as I've seen that at least covering news stories here over the last 30 years of people doing that. I would like to stow away in a plane, I guess. I mean, not not on a plane, like in the wheel well or anything like that, maybe in the plane. People always say, hey, let's get on the plane. I, I, I'd rather get in the plane. It's much nicer than it is outside the plane. So I'd, I'd ride, I actually would ride in the cargo compartment where the pets ride. If it's good enough for Lassie, then it's good enough for me. I, I wouldn't mind going in there, even at a cheaper fare. If I could get half-price airfare and ride with the dogs, I would do it. My, my wife wouldn't do it. She could ride up there in the seats with the kids, and then I'll ride at half-price or a quarter-price down there with the animals. It, it'd be fine, just as long as I have a little bit of water. Um, depending on the flight, I guess I might need a... A bottle of for restroom experience. Anyway, um, now I, let me tell you my other experience of buying a used car. So my wife and I, we've leased three Nissan Rogues. And you might be asking, all right, so why have you done a lease? I've always been told by smart money people that you should buy an appreciating asset like a house and lease a depreciating asset like a car or a boat, or a plane, or just about anything like that. We got our first one about eight years ago. It was great. Uh, The deal was really good. The car was pretty nice. Plenty of room for the growing family. Then that lease was up, so we talked to the dealer, and they put us into another lease for basically the same car at almost a better deal. I mean, we're talking about $9,000 over three years. And that that sounds like a lot of money, but to own a car, $3,000 a year really isn't that bad. It was around $250 a month. And that's pretty cheap for a car. So about a year and a half into that second car, the air conditioner went out. And it was a problem where the air conditioner was just blowing hot air. So I took it over to the dealership and they could not fix it. They had it for about two weeks they even gave me a rental car. They told us they were going to, at, at some point, try to fix this thing. And they, they had talked to the factory. And they had called other mechanics. And they could not figure out what was going on. So after about two weeks, they, they called us and said, they're giving up. That's it. We're up. It's over. We can't do anything with this car. So what we're going to do for you is basically trade this one out for another one, but you're going to have to start your lease over again at three years. We were already about a year and a half into it, so that means we were going to be starting over at three years. Okay, fine. Uh, so we did it. I didn't want to drive without air conditioning for a year and a half because it was summer. I know it's Colorado, but still, it gets hot here. So now we're at the end of that lease right now, currently. So we are done with leases. 
Well, at least leasing these cars. We want to buy a new used car. We've been looking for one of those crossover SUVs, uh, like the Rogue, but but not a Nissan or an Infiniti. Basically, here's the deal. I'm done with Nissan. Uh, no offense, but I want to break up with Nissan and, and never, ever get back together. Ne- I mean, never, ever get back together. Uh, if you're still driving a Nissan, great for you. Um, but it, it's like my first college roommate. I was never a fan of his girlfriend, who eventually became his wife. And, you know, that's fine. Good for him. Good for him. But she pretty much ruined the group of guys that we had. She was, she was our Yoko Ono. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to say that, that Nissan has ruined me like Yoko Ono ruined the Beatles. But I do know that I don't want to own another Nissan again. That's for sure. I'm done. Done with the Nissan. And, and it, it, unfortunately, it's going to carry on to Infinities because Infinity is just a fancy Nissan. And I just don't want to do the Nissan anymore. So our budget is $20,000. Uh, so whatever basically fits in there with the crossover SUV uh, type car is going to work out for us. Well, except for a Nissan. Uh, we really like the Acura MDX or the RDX. The MDX is a little bit bigger than the RDX. has that third row, and I never understood why we needed a third row, but my wife thinks we need a third row. Maybe because we have to carry some buddies along sometime in the future. That probably will never happen, but at least you have the option available. Whatever. So we've looked at a few of those. I, I, I guess I wasn't really impressed with the ride. It was a little harder than I expected. Overall, it was a, it was a nice car, and, and I, I know they're good cars. They, they last a long time, uh, and so far, that was our leader in the clubhouse, the Acura MDX or the RDX, depending on which one would, would work out best for us, the better deal and year and, and mileage, that sort of thing. But we were still open to other makes and models, minus the Nissan. Now, we, we stopped by one dealer in town. Uh, I know the general sales manager there, and it's a VW dealership, and they tried to hook us up with a hail-damaged Volkswagen Touring TDI. We originally went in there looking for uh, the tour, not the Touring, but the uh, Tegan. I think it's you, you pronounce it a Tegan, Tiguan, whatever it is, and to see if they had any any of those. But then he has all these, I guess, from Colorado Springs, where they had a lot of hail this past spring, and some of those cars are now filtering up here to Denver that haven't sold. And they have been fixed because of the VW exhaust problems. So they have all these Volkswagen Touring TDIs, uh, turbo diesel model, if you didn't know what the TDI was. So we looked at a couple of them, and uh, I'll tell you what, they are really nice inside and out. There was some minor hail damage on, on one that we looked at. Some of the other ones had some more hail damage, but basically... The car inside, minus hail damage, the car was really, really nice inside. And it, uh, we had uh, looked at a couple. One that we really liked, very fancy. It was just a touch outside our budget by about $2,000. So we were real, still really considering it. But before pulling the trigger, my wife did a smart thing. She called our family friend who owns a repair shop. Uh, he works basically on all European cars. And he said to my wife, he said, don't do it. Just don't do it. Those VWs are a maintenance nightmare, 
And when the electrical system goes wrong, they really go wrong. And Dave, who, who is, is this mechanic, he actually said stay away from not only that VW, but Audis and Volvos and VWs and Range Rovers and BMWs. All of them. And, and I was a bit flabbergasted when he said this. But I trust him because he works on all of these cars all the time. He knows how much money it takes to maintain them and repair them when something does go wrong. And, and see, this is the guy that used to work on my wife's A4. We bought this A4 a long time ago. We were still dating. She bought this used car from a broker. Uh, and it was, I wouldn't say a maintenance nightmare, but it was a bad dream. So it wasn't totally horrible, but it wasn't totally great either. And it was very expensive to maintain that car. It was a nice little car. When it worked, it worked great. But it did take a lot to maintain it. And I'm sure there's going to be you guys out there and some people who say, my mechanic is a dope and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And some of you right now are saying Dave has no idea what he's recommending. You're probably thinking that you have a great car as you're looking around your VW or your BMW or your Range Rover that you're sitting in right now. And it's never given you any problems. And sure, some of the maintenance might be a little more expensive on these cars, more than a Chevy Challenger, but hey, you, you have a luxury vehicle, right? Sure, you do. But they are still, if you look at it, just dollars and cents. They're nice cars, but they're also expensive to maintain. They are. All I know in, in, in my life, I've been well served to listen to experts in their field. Doesn't matter what the field is, marketing or communications, meteorology, transportation, or the internal and external workings of automobiles. Dave has been working on European cars for a long time, so I have to default to his judgment that he knows what he's talking about. Uh, that it's that it's okay if you want to send me your, uh, your note saying that your Volvo X90 has is, is been a wonderful car and you've never had any problems with it, uh, that, that's great for you. But for me, I'm going to follow Dave's advice. He said go with either a Honda or Acura, which is basically the same car because Honda makes Acuras, or go with a Toyota and Lexus because, again, same car maker, Toyota and Lexus. No American cars, but I, I even though I thought that American cars have gotten better, I have a Chevy right now, and the Chevy's been great, but then again, it's an electric car, which has a whole different maintenance plan and schedule than a regular gas engine car. So I can't really compare it, but my, my, my Chevy has been great. I've loved my little Chevy. But he said stay away from the American cars, just stick with a Toyota or Honda or, or, or Lexus Acura. No Korean cars even though we were looking at the Hyundais and the Kias. He said, no, no, don't don't go to the, just, just stick with Honda, Acura, Toyota, or Lexus. And I've owned a Toyota at one time in my life. It was a little white pickup truck, the base model, 4x2, no options, cloth seats, bought it brand new right from the dealer, off the lot, got a really good deal. It was one of the best vehicles I ever owned, a little white pickup truck. My wife used to think, because Napa, you remember Napa, they used to have these uh, white Toyota pickup trucks, and they used to have the Napa hat on the top of it. And she always said that I never fit in that truck because I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. And uh, it, because it was a little 4x2 truck, 
She said, I never really fit in it, and I didn't really look right in that truck. But I'm telling you, it was a fabulous, fabulous truck. One of the best vehicles I really have ever owned. It was a stick shift. Love that. I used it when I was doing pizza delivery, and it was the best to get around for pizza delivery. Uh, I never had any kind of problem with it. I had the regular maintenance done by uh, every 5,000 miles. That was basically it. Get the oil changes done, and then at 15,000, there was a few extra things that had to be done. Actually, the only other problem I had with that truck is that I, I had a part. So when I worked at the radio station, uh, 850 KOA Radio, I was driving a station vehicle because I had to have this broadcast unit in the station vehicle so I could do some of my traffic reports while I was on the road driving. Sounds a little uh, distracted driving problem, and it, and it was a bit. But anywho, that was then. This is now. So I had a station vehicle, so I would park my pickup there if I needed it at the radio station at the parking lot. So at one point, a rabbit climbed up somehow into the wheel well and got into a compartment right there at the at the wheel and the engine. Somehow wiggled its way in there and chewed up some wires because they like to chew. That was the only problem I ever had with that truck. It was a dream truck. It didn't look like a dream truck. Didn't look like the cool 4x4 that you saw in Back to the Future. Love that. That was a beautiful looking truck, the Back to the Future pickup truck. But I'm hoping my experience with another Toyota vehicle will be the same. So Dave told us he he actually added a mechanic to his his shop who works only on Japanese cars. So, So that's great. So we took Dave's advice and narrowed our focus to look for a Acura Honda or Lexus Toyota. So we went to a couple of different places here in Metro Denver. One is called Auto Trek. A-U-T-O-T-E-C-K. Auto Tech. It was basically an auto broker. They buy cars at the either local or uh, auto auction or the big auto auction down in Texas. And they ship them up here to Denver and they, they clean them up a little bit. When I say a little bit, I mean just a little bit. These cards had some body damage. They, most of them had either scratches on the car, on the paint. One had scratches all over the hood. The, the windows or, and, and the windshields were, were fine. They, they weren't cracked. But there was body damage on most of the vehicles. They were pretty dirty inside. Not detailed, not perfect, not cleaned up like you had it taken to the uh, car wash detail place where they spent a couple hours cleaning it. More like they had five minutes to do it before somebody was going to come take a look at it. And so they just wiped it down and tried to make it uh, at least passable and not real pretty. One car was so smoky that I sat in it. I I sat down as I was having my wife test drive him because she's going to be driving this car more than I will. So she gets into the driver's seat, I get into the passenger seat, and I'm not kidding. Four seconds later, I'm out of there like I'm on fire because it smelled so bad. I sat down, took a whiff. I said, "Uh uh-uh, no good, too much smoke, I'm out. And I (laughs) got right out of the car right after I got in the car. I just was not going to do it. Uh, I'm not going to buy a smoky one. Smoky is horrible. Um, but, But I think that's how a lot of these brokers operate. They pick up a car at the auto auction. They they try to clean it up. They, they make a repair or two, and then they put it on the lot. I, I saw the auto auction writing and stickers on the car 
the one that they were again trying to get us to look at, a different one, uh, an Infinity Infinity Q something. Uh, but again, Infinity for me is out. So I, I wasn't gonna about to go for the Infinity, but my wife wanted to take a look at it. I um I just don't think I would feel good about buying one of those cars, not really knowing. Sure, there's Carfax, but you really don't know because you can't talk to the owner about what the history of the car is. All you know is the miles, what you can see from the from the body and the damage and and the dirty that's on the inside. And you can maybe get a couple of pieces of information from the Carfax, but for the most part, you, you just don't know. You don't know. And I think these brokers just pick up these cars at the auto auction, clean it up a little bit, maybe make a repair or two, and then put it on the lot. And then, and then they say, all right, we do this 100-point inspection, but those cars that I looked at didn't seem like they make a 100-point inspection. And if they do, the, the point is like this. Hmm, the car has a windshield. Yep, that's point number one. Uh, yep, it's got an engine and the hood's down. That's point two and three. But I don't really think they're checking these cars. I, I don't think I would really ever feel good about buying a car from one of those places. But the, the, the good thing is that it gave me the opportunity to try a bunch of different cars all in one spot, drive them around a little bit, and, and, and just to get a feel of what they are like without having to commit to buy them. Anyway, our search was going on, and my wife was looking on Nextdoor, that app that uh, you know, is your community app, and some people occasionally post cars on there, and, and someone, not too far, a couple miles down the road, posted a Lexus RX350, a 2013 model with 78,000 miles on it. It was just under our budget at $19,000, and so we went to take a look. It seemed... A bit high. I, I was hoping it was going to be maybe eighteen thousand, but you know, let's, I was going to I was going to let that go, the nineteen thousand, just because I, I figured that the condition of the car was going to be nicer than anything we had seen at any of the auto brokers. So we checked it out, went to this uh, folks' place, and and the condition of this car was stellar. Like you imagine how someone who really likes cars would take care of a car. All the maintenance records, every time they were supposed to take it in, they did. Got every recommended factory service. It was super clean. The only little dings, a couple of dings on the door that you could paint right over with the uh, factory paint, it was really well taken care of. And so after looking at it, after talking over it a little bit, we liked the, uh, the people, the owners, and the car was impeccable, so we agreed to buy it. So now we've... Had the car for less than a week, and going through the process of getting the car and trying to get the plates and the registration, all that is a pain because I hate the DMV, uh, and then all the charges for the sales tax and the registration fees and all that stuff. But uh, so far, it's only been a couple of days since we've had the car, but the car is great. The car really is good. So now I'm going to take it to Dave and, and see what he thinks and get it maintained by him and, and hopefully... He's going to enjoy it or enjoy working on it, and, uh, and hopefully I made the right choice. I guess I'll know in the next six months or 36 months or 300 months. I don't know. Anyway, this entirely too long story uh, brings me to my next guest. When you want to buy a new car, you still pretty much have to go to a dealership and then struggle through all that mess. It used to be similar 
when you were trying to buy a used car, but there, there were some places to find a car, like in the want ads or the newspaper, of course, and there was the Auto Trader magazine. You remember the Auto Trader magazine? I loved looking at the Auto Trader magazine. It was uh, That was one of my simple joys when I was a teenager. Then Craigslist came along and helped a little bit uh, filter out where you could buy a car, but the changes in the way we buy used cars really have accelerated over the past few years thanks to companies like CarMax, True Car, Blinker, who we've had here on the show, and one of the newest and most interesting companies, Carvana. Carvana is famous for its gigantic car vending machines. Maybe you've seen them on online and seen a picture of it. Carvana says they are the fastest-growing auto retailer in the country, and they are expanding across the nation, including right here in Colorado. And to talk about Carvana and the trend in used car sales is Jenny Stanford Esquire, the Senior Director of Market Operations and Expansion for Carvana. Jenny, thanks for being here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Yeah, thank you, Jason. So, Jenny, before we talk cars, let's talk Jenny. I understand you're a Colorado girl. I am. I am born and raised in Steamboat Springs, Uh, went to DU, and lived in Denver for many years before you're jumping ship to work at Carvana in Phoenix. So how'd you get hooked up with Carvana? I was interested. I was actually working uh, in uh, the front range and Carvana reached out to me with just a really cool opportunity to lead their expansion efforts. This was over three and a half years ago. At the time we were in nine cities and the company knew that they were preparing for a large expansion and looking for someone that could help with that and I sort of, I remember calling my dad and saying, all right, dad, I'm leaving Colorado, moving to the desert to sell used cars. So you can imagine it, uh, it didn't go over well at first, but never looked back. It's, it's been just an incredible journey, a really cool company to be with. Yeah, I can imagine what that conversation would be like. I have two little girls, so I, I would do the same thing. I, I would uh, have some reservations at, at the beginning and then encourage them to uh, do what they think is best. That, that is precisely what he did in, in good fatherly fashion. And, and now he's so excited. You know, when we travel to different cities, we stop by the vending machines. He, I, initially, he imagined me working, you know, in somebody's garage somewhere, working, working on a little <laughs> right. startup. Um, and was, it was just blown away when he came to our home office for the first time. And, oh, this is a real company. <laughs> yes, Dad, it's a real company. And, well, you know, sometimes these garage startups can lead to big and great things like Apple and Microsoft and, and the like. So let's talk car buying. Carvana. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, let's talk car buying. I was saying earlier that my wife and I, we've been actually shopping for a used car for about a month here. We finally settled on a car that was posted on Nextdoor by one of our nearby neighbors, and we searched mainly on the internet to really get a lot of information and, and, and a feel for what is out there and what features we would want in a car. And we did go to several places uh, just to get a feel of what they had on the lot and, and to touch it and to feel it and that sort of thing. L- let's talk about how buying a used car really has changed in the past few years where you don't necessarily have to go to a dealership. You can actually do all this stuff online. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, consumers in general today are going online for many of their shopping needs, right? Uh, I, I pretty much purchase everything from Amazon. And so uh, it's really cool to see now uh, that shopping for a vehicle online has also become a reality. So that's what we have been building and now offer, you know, all across the country at Carvana is this 
online auto retailer experience where you can go through all stages of the car buying process. Uh, we've made it super easy for customers to search the vehicle that they're interested in, uh, compare it against other vehicles. We've uh, allowed for customers to complete their financing online. You can sign your contracts online. Basically, everything except for you know, taking possession of the vehicle happens online. So it's, it's really smooth, fast, seamless, and, and really a lot of fun. And that's what I think a lot of the younger folks who are buying cars want to do. They are so comfortable on their phones. I'm one of the older guys in the newsroom, but all the younger reporters and anchors, they, they are glued to their phones. And I, and I see that out and about, and it seems like that's what they want to do. That's how they want to not only buy cars, they want to buy everything that way. Right, right. And it's, it is, you know, I, I think that there's a mix of different types of consumers uh, in the ways that they want to purchase. But our, our customers are across all demographics, all ages, uh, you know, rural, urban, we get all types of different. And I think that that's really what's happening in general with, with consumerism is it's not just the, the young millennials that are used to being on their phones. It's uh, all types of customers that, as you said, you started your search on online uh, and utilizing online tools. So we, we've definitely seen the, the growth. Uh, as you maybe saw in your research, we, we've grown you know, rapidly over the last three years. And so we've seen that growth just at Carvana. I'm speaking with Jenny Stanford, the Senior Director of Market Operations and Expansion for Carvana. So one thing, Jenny, I like doing when we were considering the cars we wanted to buy was I, I like to go out and, and touch it, to look it over, to, to get in and, and smell the car. Uh, it, by the way, way too many of the cars that we looked at had smoke in it. One of them I sat in for, I'm not kidding, for about four seconds, and I said, this is too smoky, I'm out. Um, maybe great for a smoker to get a good deal, but, but not for me. So how am I able to see and touch and smell these cars that I, I am considering on Carvana? Right. So the, the journey, of course, all starts online. And so uh, in terms of seeing the vehicle, we have a uh, proprietary 360-degree uh, photography system that allows us to take pictures of the outside, the inside of the vehicle. And we put it on sort of this spinner. So you can tour the car inside and out. Uh, we've notated any imperfections, if there are any. We really try to give like a good feel of what the car is like since you're buying it uh, without seeing it, right? Uh, the second thing we do is, of course, then when the vehicle is delivered to you, you then begin your seven-day, uh, no questions asked, uh, return policy time frame. So we, we allow customers to have seven days to really – test to own the car. Like it's much better than that, uh, you know, four right-hand turns that you would take on a test drive at a, at a dealership. It, it really is the opportunity to, as you said, sit in it, smell it, try your commute in it, uh, throw, throw your golf clubs in back, see how they fit, see if your dog likes it, put the car, see everything that you would do, you know, take it to a mechanic. Uh, and we think that actually provides sort of a better experience uh, if you get to, you know, day six, day seven, and it's from, you know what, this isn't, this shade of blue just isn't right for me. You know, right, <laughs> we, right. no questions asked. We come back and pick it up. Um, you know, the, the other day I 
was on a exchange. It was actually the woman uh, was, she decided that she didn't want the vehicle, but she still wanted to purchase a different vehicle from Carvana. So we will also do that. We'll bring you a new vehicle. And, and for her, it was, she drove the car and her purse kept sliding off of the console in a disruptive way, you know, got, it got in her way of driving. And she said, I just, I don't know what it is about this console. It's just, it doesn't hold my purse well, right? You know, and so switched to a different car that she had a, a flatter, more concave uh, console for where her purse could fit. And that's, uh, those are the types of things that we care about is ultimately making sure the customer has exactly the car that they want. Does, does this cost me any money? Can I just have a car delivered every seven days then to keep test driving? Well, I, I, I suppose you could keep doing that. <laughs> um, I, I'm, surely we have some sort of limit on, on the number that we would deliver. Typically, though, when, it, when customers are doing this, they're, they're really in it, right? You know, you're really you're signing that purchase paperwork on the first day. So it's the intention really is that, that you want to purchase the car. Um, but, but absolutely, I mean, we, we have had people where sometimes it takes two uh, exchanges. Sometimes you'll just say, you know what, uh, I'm actually just going to return this car. And, and again, it's no questions asked. Like we, we don't charge a fee for this. Uh, it's just part of our offering. But for, for a guy like me, I, I don't need seven days. I need about seven minutes. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's probably typical for a lot of men that can just see and look and smell the car right now and then move on to the next one and then maybe see a lot more that way than I could see possibly with just having all the cars delivered once in a while. Right. And that's, and we, um, we recognize, and they kind of said earlier, there's all different types of consumers out there. Um, and we are targeting the consumers that, are comfortable and excited about the prospect of purchasing online, right, which isn't going to be every single car buyer out there. Um, this is for someone that's looking for a convenient, fast, uh, no-pressure type situation to purchase a car, and uh, it, it's different for everyone. So is it cost-efficient for you folks to send these cars from wherever in the country to deliver to my house and then drop it off and... And uh, if I don't like it to come back and pick it up, how cost efficient is that? Oh, my goodness. Well, so all of the, the details of our, uh, our, our cost structure and, um, you know, the, the financing of the company, I would, I'd have to uh, defer to our, our investor relations site uh, where we have all kinds of information about, about kind of the cost structure and how it works. Um, but it, it, I do think it is a great question because what what we do is super cool we offer the ability for anyone you know now anyone in five cities really the whole kind of front range metro area of denver to see all fifteen thousand plus of the vehicles that we have in inventory and of course you know those vehicles are not all sitting in uh denver right they're they're all over the country and we utilize our logistics network to transport them and make them available in as little as one day in some cases, um, in many cases. So it, it is a really cool, a very challenging, uh, and, and it's been a fun problem to figure out, but it, it makes the purchase experience 
seamless for the customer. Yeah, I have a great marketing line since you're into marketing. Uh, it, you are the Amazon of car delivery. It is very much like that. It is very much like purchasing on Amazon. We are speaking with Jenny Stanford, the Senior Director of Market Operations and Expansion for Carvana. So many of the brokers I visited would buy a car at the auto auction, whether it's a local one or the one, there's a big one down in Texas. And, and we saw the auction stickers on, you know, and the writing on the windows. And so we knew they were right from the auction. Um, and, and it seemed like a lot of the brokers, not, not only here, I'm sure around the country, will buy these cars at the auction, clean them up a little bit, some more than others, uh, and then put them out on the lot for a couple thousand more than what they paid for and, and then sell it to whomever just wanders by. Where does Carvana get their cars so we we purchase from a variety of different venues we do very similar to any dealer out there any other auto retailer we do purchase from from auctions Uh, a big place actually that we get many of our cars is from our customers Uh, so customers are able to trade in a vehicle when they purchase with us or we also will just purchase customers from or vehicles from customers. <laughs> if you're purchasing so, customers, that's uh, going to be a whole different business plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's definitely not our business. Uh, so it's it's um, a pretty cool way to acquire unique vehicles is through you know cars that customers are looking to sell. Uh, they can go also online to Carvana.com, put in the VIN, and we will automatically generate an offer. Uh, you know, immediately there on the website. And then you can either use that offer, you know, as a down payment for, for your vehicle on the website, or, or you can just have us come pick it up and, and cut you a check. And super easy, uh, again, very low pressure. Uh, we really aim to make the experience as easy and in, as incredible as possible. I do have a 2016 Nissan Rogue with 37,000 miles on it. Uh, that's that's only got two months left on the lease if you want to come pick that up. Yeah, put it in the website. <laughs> we'll come get it. I will try. All right, so one of the places uh, I, my wife and I visited when we were looking at cars, they they were talking about how well they inspect their cars because I, I, I was a little bit suspect on, on some of the cars we were looking at. And they say they do a, a hundred or whatever point inspection. But when I looked at some of these cars, I think their points were like, uh, does it have tires? Yep, there's a point. Uh, it has a hood and it's down. That's two more points. Uh, what does Carvana do to make sure that the cars work and will continue, continue to work uh, a, as I own it? Uh, yeah, so uh, Carvana also has a you know standard 150 point in- inspection. Um, but we what we do is we have all of our our vehicles are Carvana certified, and so that that means a number of things. First of all, we have incredibly high standards uh, when selecting the vehicles that we are going to put on our website. So it, it is a pretty rigorous inspection uh, and reconditioning of of all of the vehicles. Uh, we don't include any vehicles on our website that have ever been in a reported accident or have frame damage. Um, once we do put them on the website, like a big thing for us is just it's as a national platform and an online platform, it's very easy to access the information about what the customer's experience was. So we post all of our customer reviews on our website. So at this point, there's over 30,000 reviews uh, that customers have sub- submitted on our website. And 
we have a average of 4.7 stars out of five. So I think it really speaks to like the quality really is there. And, and you can read that the customers really do feel like they, they got what we described. Um, and that's important to us, right? We want to be as transparent as possible uh, to avoid exactly kind of what you said, like where you see these, these, these rough looking cars. And we know that someone is taking a risk when buying a vehicle online, sight unseen. And so we want to make sure that we fulfill uh, kind of our brand promise that that vehicle will show up just as it is described on the website. And, and you mentioned how you're not selling cars that have been in a crash or have uh, significant damage, something like that. But what about uh, hail damage? Or uh, you would think some cars would have minor scratch and dings, but what about larger um, scratches and, and other body damage? Um, it, it depends on, we have a whole slew of standards for our vehicles that we look at every time that we, we put them on the website. So in some cases, if, it, if it's a really large, egregious uh, problem, uh, we just don't sell it on the website, right? Like that's when we would take it to, you know, we'd send it off to an auction uh, or, or something like that. Uh, but if it does meet our standards, however, if there still is some sort of imperfection, like you said, like a, a minor dent or uh, perhaps it's a stain on the inside, we annotate that on the website and do a sort of zoomed in photograph of it so that you can see it and are aware of it when you're purchasing it. Then, of course, when we arrive with the vehicle, you're then able to look at all of these imperfections in person with other ones, and, and you can elect to, you know, reject the car right there at delivery. You don't have to wait the seven days. You know, we say, oh, gosh, this this dent looks way bigger in person than it did in the picture. Uh, we happily take the car back and, you know, help you either shop for another one or, you know, let, let the customer continue on their search. Speaking with Jenny Stanford, Senior Director of Market Operations and Expansion for Carvana. Uh, Jenny, financing obviously is a huge part of buying a car. For most people, they need a loan, and it can be tricky for private sales, like if you're getting a car on Craigslist or like I am on Nextdoor. How much does the financing aspect play into uh, the experience there at Carvana? It's actually it's, it's a really cool part of our experience is the fact that we offer uh, financing online through the you know, the website, Carvana.com, you can select your car and then we really put our customers in the driver's seat to determine how they want to purchase the vehicle. So uh, you may come with your own financing from a credit union. Uh, we are happy to work with credit unions and go down that path. You enter the information there online or, or you know, call in to one of our customer advocates to help you through that process. Uh, alternatively, we also offer uh, our own financing on the website, and it's done in a really cool way in which you can, can select your own terms. You put in your uh, financial information. Uh, it, it determines what sort of your rates would be, and then you can select, like if you want to kind of have a higher down payment um, but lower monthly payments. Like we make that all very transparent and clear uh, so that the customer can quickly select the, the direction that they want to go, what works best for them. I've talked a lot of here on the, uh, on the show about the future of cars and how they're going to be changing over the next five years, 10 years, 
with automation and 5G and, and how eventually, maybe in 20 years, we're going to see self-driving cars. So how does all of that, the new technology and the eventual takeover of self-driving cars, maybe in 20 years, play into the future of Carvana and, and all of these other maybe used car dealerships? Oh, man, Jason, this is such a tough <laughs> question uh, to, to see the future, right? Also, who's yeah, going to win the Super I, Bowl I, this year? If you can give me those answers, too, then I'll just run to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, I've listened to some of your your, your comments and thoughts on this, and I, I do think it's fascinating, and I think the the industry is always evolving. What's, uh, what's really cool to me is, you know, we, we talk with some people who are, you know, more traditionalists right, in, in the car buying industry. And, and they just absolutely think that Carvana is so strange to them, right? Like, I, oh, my goodness, like, I could never buy a car online, right? You know, and then we talk to other people, they're, oh, gosh, you guys are, you guys are behind the curve, you know, it's, it's going to be all self-driving vehicles, you know, and so, like, man, if we could just get these two people together, right. like, just their minds would explode, right, you know, <laughs> Um, but it, but I do think it is it is a valid question, and, and we like to watch where the industry is going. I think uh, you know today, even in a world where many people are moving to uh, utilizing services like Uber or Lyft or other ride sharing services, uh, they still often own their own vehicle, uh, and and it's I, I think that the majority of folks haven't you know, given up car ownership uh, in in lieu of taking Ubers everywhere. Now, some have. Uh, and, and I think that you're right to think that at some point in the future, there will be a lot more uh, of people taking unconventional ways. Of, you, know, you know, who knows where the, the driving industry is going to go. But we do keep our eye on it. And I think it's fun. It's fun for us to play in that space and be a part of it. Well, you're from Denver. And you know there's that large, yellow, boxy-looking sculpture thing there right near I-25 and Broadway. You can't miss it. it. It's like these logs that are, are somewhat tilted off uh, center a little bit, and, and they go really high up in the sky. Yes. Well, we'll I, I think that'd be a great spot for a Carvana vending machine. <laughs> are we ever going to see one of those vending machines here in Denver? <laughs> I hope so. I, uh, I'm obviously biased, right? I, I'm a Colorado girl at heart and can't wait until we have a vending machine in Denver. We are you know, looking all over the country to add uh, these, our vending machines. They are so much fun, and, and we want our customers everywhere to have that experience. So certainly in, in all of the cities that, that we are operating in, we hope to eventually have a vending machine, and that includes Denver. So uh, keep your eye out. I, I hope to see one somewhere along I-25 or I-70 <laughs> one day as well. There you go. It'd be uh, I, I do think it'd be perfect. That'd be a perfect spot, high visibility, and then the way the sun would just beam right off of it uh, against the mountain. It would be it would be really nice. That, that would be great. You have <laughs> you have any uh, ins there? Can you? <laughs> no, I don't. But you know, we can just uh, I don't know commandeer the land of some sort. Um, uh, well, anyway, Je- Jenny Stanford Esquire, the senior director of market operations and expansion for Carvana. Thanks so much for being here and also being one of the newest listeners of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I do appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jason. Oh man, that was great. Uh, that was a really nice interview. I, I will list my car, I think, on there later today and see what it is worth. I have tried with the um, auto tech 
Trek people to see if they wanted it, um, but they said no, that they can't make the numbers work. So I, I'm probably just going to be stuck with this car because I have two months left on the lease. Um, but if I could have dumped the car and get out of a few payments uh, and you know turn the vehicle over to somebody else, great for me. Uh, otherwise, I guess it'll just be parked outside in front of the house as I wait to turn it in. Um, maybe I can rent it out for another couple months. Maybe I can do that because we had that interview with that uh, car company that rents out cars over there at the airport. That's what I'll do. I'll just list it on there, drop it off at the airport, let them rent it out for two months, make some money. Boom, that pays for my, uh, well, but then I have to pay for the extra miles. But I'm going to get paid for the miles. Any, well, anyway, I don't know what I'm going to do. I still do need to schedule the end of the lease inspection. Because I remember the last time they came to the house and looked over the car, they said my tires were bad and I could be dinged for the tire wear because when I leased another Rogue, they waived that fee. So I didn't have a turn-in fee. So I didn't know really what they wanted to charge me for that. But it sounds like they want to charge me about 400 bucks to turn in this car. Um, and when I did a swap a lease for a Jeep Wrangler, oh, it had to be, I guess it had to be 10 or 11 or 12 years ago because it was before my oldest daughter. Um, this person, again, this person came out, looked it over. They said they really only cared about the windshield, the tires, and the Jeep was going to end up at the auto auction anyway. So he didn't really care about any of the service records that I had. I, I should tell you that story another time about doing the swap a lease. It's where I... I actually picked up a lease of a Jeep from someone in Ohio, and they had they wanted to get out of their lease. And then I had the car shipped on a truck from Ohio to Colorado, and he actually paid me an $800 incentive to take over his lease. And I only had the payment of $250 a month, and it was uh, for a little bit more than a year. It was great. Took that Jeep up uh, outside of Telluride, up over this uh, pass called Imogene Pass between Uray and Telluride, it was spectacular. It was so fun. I actually turned my younger brother on to doing swap leases, and he did several of them. And it was, uh, he got to drive some really cool cars. Anyway, maybe I'll tell you that full story again another time. Uh, the next episode, we're going to speak with Geotab, uh, the fleet monitoring company, about a transit versus traffic study they recently did. And the numbers are pretty interesting uh, versus transit and commuting by car and how long it takes for either one to get into a city center. It really is pretty interesting numbers. We'll talk to them next week. I also have some listener mail to share with you next week. And I think it's a good one. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.